Welcome, 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 everybody, to Look in California, Feel Minnesota, everybody's favorite cinema podcast. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm an acting coach and writer out here in sunny Southern California. I'm the Look in California part. And I'm joined by Barry Anderson, director from Minnesota, and I'm the Feeling Minnesota part. That's right. He's in Minneapolis. He's cold, I'm assuming. And well, I, just... I mean, I think that you're lying now because you're saying it's sunny California, but I know that you're locked in the house. So you have no idea what's going on outside right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't it's miss true. The, uh, the listeners on us. It's true. We are in lockdown here in Los Angeles, uh, in the whole state of California, and uh, because of the coronavirus. And I have to say, this is one of the nicer jails I've been in. Um, <laughs> it's it's not the nicest, but it's one of the nicer. It's it's not bad. Um, yeah, things are crazy out here, man. Crazy. The the coronavirus has shut everything down. Um, supermarkets are empty man empty and it's a little crazy it's a little you know like like i i was describing it earlier in the week as like a soviet style breadline but it's not even that this is this is pure planet of the apes stuff going on here man it's crazy what is happening in minnesota with all this stuff um i don't you know not seeing your your photos i mean it's it's the same i mean there's there's food but if you go to get you know meat or for like frozen chicken like nothing it's just you know yeah. so people just basically it's amusing to me because like you, you should only go out if you need food but then when there isn't food you have to go out like multiple times <laughs> over the week until you find it so you're kind of like is this helping is this not uh right. so yeah so no i mean i'm currently stocked up on food i'm, I'm not going to starve to death but uh it is definitely it is, as they say, may you live in interesting times. Um, we are there. <laughs> yeah, we've hit peak interesting times. Man. We will talk about for many, many years. And I think, <laughs> I think one of the things that I don't like for people right now is the fact that, you know, obviously there's a ton of information going around. Nobody knows, like, what's really happening. There's predictions. There's, hypo you know, hypotheses of what could happen. And I think people just genuinely live in a state of concern and anxiety. So I thought that you and I could be, you know, kind of the good Samaritans and bring joy to those that are locked in their house, <laughs> houses like you are and I are. And we should talk about movies that are readily found on services such as Netflix or Hulu or for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, sites like Tubi where they actually have ads, but it's free. You don't have to sign up uh, since some of you out there uh, like ourselves that are locked out of uh, work indefinitely. Don't want to spend extra money, but we want to find movies and or TV shows that you have maybe missed that is maybe worth revisiting because we're in week one of the lockdown. And if it goes eight, nine, 10 weeks, um, people are going to run out of stuff to watch that they're aware of. So we're going to be there to uh, help you find some of those diamonds in the rough. Yeah, I disagree. I, I think we should talk about how bad things are. Okay. Um, oh, good. Should we add, should we just make up stuff? Yes. Put it out there and see if it gets picked <laughs> up anywhere. I want to talk about the gnawing hunger in my belly right now <laughs> that, that uh, I haven't eaten in three days, so it's, it's bad. I'm just, but. I'm just letting you know that our core audience are not coming to hear what we think about <laughs> the world. Well, <laughs> I, I do want to get into this. As you know, I, I'm a few degrees, a few credit shy being an epidemiologist. I do want to get into that a little bit. Just my theories about the virus, about how to treat it about how to take care of yourself, how to avoid it, 
So everybody, this is going to take about an hour and 45 minutes. I'm just going to go through all my knowledge. I don't know anything. I, I'm an idiot. Um, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Yeah, just wash your hands. Wash your hands. Uh, there's nothing else I can tell you. Um, okay, yeah, so we're going to talk, you know, sort of movies that are slightly off the beaten track. So, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, hey, go watch The Godfather. You know, like that. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, it, but we're going to talk about uh, movies a little bit out of that sort of huge success. So the movie we're going to talk about today is called Ex Machina, um, which is, what year is this from? 2015. It came out. It is directed by Alex Garland and also written by Alex Garland. And it stars Domhnall Gleeson, Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac. And the movie did pretty well. A uh, budget of $15 million. Box office was $36.9 million. It was nominated for how many Academy Awards? This thing? Uh, Best Original Screenplay. And uh, I think that's it. So Ex Machina is a science fiction film. And I don't, know, I don't even know how to begin to describe the plot <laughs> of this movie. Well, I, um, in, I guess we should... Chances are we'll probably talk about some spoilers, but I think let's before we get to that, we can let people know they can stop listening. You know, but I think we should give them something to kind of entice them or give them some framework of what they're getting into. So if they're like, "Oh, I hate sci-fi" or "I hate you know this yeah. sort of thing," let's give them some so, high level. Here's here's the basic premise of the film. Domino Gleason, uh, he is a computer coder at this big sort of Facebook type of uh, imagine if Facebook and Google work one company he works at this sort of company and his name is caleb and he gets he wins a contest to go meet the ceo of this company which is called blue book uh whose name is nathan now nathan is a genius he's created all this magical computer stuff through the world and caleb gets to fly out to his very very remote uh compound um and meet nathan and it's a big honor and then when he gets there, he discovers the reason he was there, he's going to spend a week there, is Nathan wants him to uh, help him test an artificial intelligence that he's created. And this artificial intelligence is called Ava. And Ava is played by Alicia Vikander. And it's basically, Ava is a, you know, quote-unquote robot. And Caleb is there to see how realistic she is, if she'll pass the Turing test, which is a test, uh, of artificial intelligence. So that's the basic premise of the movie. And uh, so I'm going to ask my partner in crime, Barry Anderson from Minneapolis, Minnesota. What did you think of Ex Machina? Uh, it was one of my favorite films of that year. Um, I think it was very well done. And I think it was what's, in, what's interesting is the director wrote and directed it. I don't know how many films he's directed, but he's written a lot. He wrote Annihilation. He wrote uh, the updated uh, Dread. He's done, I think he actually wrote The Beach in 28 Days Later with uh, uh, Danny Boyle. So he's got a great pedigree, um, kind of in either sci-fi or apocalyptic or kind of these, I won't call them mind game movies, um, but they, you know, it's kind of like putting people in a bizarre location and then almost sitting back and observing what happens. And I felt very much like this movie was, you know, yeah, it's a remote location, but the, the set that they built was quite incredible. 
kind of this modern home kind of in the middle of the mountains away from every, everything, but yet you still felt trapped, you know, almost like it's a, a glorified prison like we're talking about. But it was great because it was just a couple people, really good actors, and kind of everybody had their objectives, which were all in conflict with everyone else's, uh, you know, kind of needs. And so it was just this really slow burn, kind of intellectual, nicely paced, well acted, kind of a gem of a little movie that I wish more people see, which I'm hoping that they will go check out now. Okay, this, this is thank on Netflix, you. Right? Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Great. Thanks, Barry. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And uh, well, now, now, now go back to your epidemiology and talk about <laughs> the, 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 the health and well-being of people while they're uh, talking. Okay, so ex machina. I uh, oh, by the way, if you hear if you hear uh, animal noises in the background, that's just my four-year-old son who's been cooped up in our place <laughs> for a week. So <laughs> I just I just heard a roar, which is why I bring that up. So, they, um, so the, you're you're basically working on the sequel to Ex Machina yes. in modern day time in Los Angeles. Good to know. Good to know. Yes, and he is certainly he is he's not artificial, but he is intelligent, and he's <laughs> definitely outsmarting me this week. Um, so, Ex Machina, I absolutely love this movie, and again, just like you, it's one of my favorite movies from 2015. Um, Alex Garland, I think this may be his first first film he directed, but. Uh, he wrote, I'm going to look this up real quick. He wrote um, the screenplay for a film, Never Let Me Go, which is from 2010. And it's based on a book of the same title um, by a Japanese writer. And it is, it's, it's about clones and all this sort of stuff. And again, it's a science fiction type of thing. And I just loved it. I just thought it was really a well-structured screenplay. And I just think Ex Machina is the same way. Incredibly smart, really, really well put together. Um, ju just a fantastic film. And what's really interesting about it in terms of, sci of science fiction, so many science fiction films um, are about spectacle. Yes. And they're about the special effects really drive the story. And this film, what makes it remarkable is that, in essence, it is a stage play. Yeah. And it is basically three and a half characters and in a confined space, and they talk. And you could put this up in a black box theater somewhere, yeah. and it would be fantastic. And they do have, the special effects are actually pretty cool in it, but they, they uh, buttress the story. They don't create the story and so i really loved the film i thought it was extremely well written really well directed and i found the performances were really great and i think it's one of those cases where you have three actors giving the best performance they've all given yep, all I, at yeah. the same time <laughs> i was gonna say because we can go to each one of them but i i 100 i've not seen any of them be as good before or after as they were in this particular movie. Totally. Alicia Vikander uh, went on to, she won an Oscar after this for um, one of those movies, but uh, she, she is so good in this. 
And it's basically her first thing. She sort of bursts on scene. And every accolade she gets in her career is because of this. And it, it, she deserves it. She's so good. She's so genuine. And she's playing a robot. And she's so genuine and real. And just a, a beautifully uh, exquisite performance that she gives. And it's very intricate and detailed. Oscar Isaac is a is, uh, longtime readers of me will know. Oscar Isaac is in my doghouse, man. I mean, uh, he's been in the doghouse a while where I'm just, I'm like, what's up with this guy? Something, he's not a good actor and I don't get it. Um, And what frustrates me about that and why I write about that now is because he's so good in this. Yeah. He is capable of being very good. I know that part of my job is to pick quality actors and actresses and not always the obvious ones. And I was tricked early because this is one of my first exposures to Oscar Isaacson. And then when he started getting picked up for you know, all these major blockbusters, I was like, oh, he's going to go on great things. And literally every single, like, I think you and I talked about it, you know, not on the podcast, but uh, I think one of his movies right after this was the, the most violent year. Yeah. You know, got a lot of accolades. And we both watched it. And we're both like, what? And I think he yeah. was living off of <laughs> kind of the, he should be good from this movie. And now it's just gone into like, is he ever going to give another performance that's worthy to talk about? Because I, I think he was great in this. And I think he apparently used up everything he had in this one performance. So if you, if you like Oscar Isaacson, you should absolutely, did I say Isaacson? Oscar Isaacson. Yeah, you, you added a son to yeah, his I name. Don't know I why. think it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I adopted I, him into my family, the, the son's family. <laughs> uh, but I, I think you'll really, really enjoy this performance. Um, and if you hated him before, you know, give him a mulligan and go see this one because it's definitely the best of what he's had to offer. Yeah, it's the one time where I felt like he was just totally engaged and just completely present in what yeah. he was doing. And it's so funny, A Most Violent Year, which is a movie I was really excited to see, um, ended up being, uh, you know, the most deceptively titled film uh, yes, since I, A Never Ending Story. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's, it's there is just, no violent... Hey, spoiler alert. There is no, no violence in the most violent no, Nothing. No, no not violence. Not a fight, not a nosebleed, uh, not a yelling match, nothing. Just really and, boring dialogue. And in it, Oscar Isaac is, is just not good. He, does, he can't carry the film. And what I think is good um, in this is that he doesn't need to carry the film. Correct. He's actually really the third wheel in the movie. The movie is really about the relationship between uh, Domhnall Gleeson and, and Alicia Vikander. Um, and, and Isaac really thrives when he's just uh, sort of bouncing up against those two yeah well, I, I think the story is about the uh, the other two characters but i really felt like this was you know the perfect triangle like none of them over dominate you know you can kind of go from one to the other and they they equally give and take and it's kind of like this nice it's almost like everyone's rowing the boat you know no one's overdoing anything and it was just a really good ensemble kind of a symbiotic role for everybody and i, I it's part of the delight of the movie in my opinion yeah, I, I agree. It's it's perfectly balanced, and it's one of the, it's a rare occasion that that happens yeah. in a movie. Uh, and Domhnall Gleeson is an actor I really like. It's hard for him, I think, to find things for him to do well. 
because um, he's such an odd looking sort of guy. But I think this was again a perfect storm for him that he just he gets to play something that's in his wheelhouse and he he crushes it. He is vulnerable, he's sort of weak and yet trying to be strong and uh I think it's just all of his strengths come come to the fore in this. And I, I just thought the cast was really, really good. I agree. And I think if if people aren't familiar with this movie, Domino Gleason uh was General Hux in the latest Star Wars movie. Oh kind dear. Of the, the campiest kind of evil general of the Empire. Yeah. So uh that was not his best performance, but I think it was more the the writing and the tone of that character than his performance. I think he well, did to, to be fair, you know, the, the mortgage is not gonna pay itself, Barry. Nope. So he has to hey, you know what? Take if, that gig. if Lucasfilm calls and they want something that's weird, I'll make I'll make it weird for him. Oh hey, if they call and, and they want me to play Jar Jar Binks, I'm doing it, man. I'm I'm there. You know, just sign the checks and I'll be there. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. he's one of those people that will have another good performance. I think he's got it in him, but he is one of those ones that actors is trying to find his home because it is a little bit. I was trying to look up because I, I know he competed with his dad. I'm trying to figure out who his dad is. It's not Brendan Gleeson, is it? Yeah, it's Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Well, geez, that's a talented family. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean Brendan Gleeson is, is that, something else. That's man. your dad. Woofdus. Man, that's a hard, hard thing to live up to. Yeah, and, and Domhnall Gleeson was in that movie, Never Let Me Go. And uh, he, he's really, he's just really good. I'm trying to find the other film that he did uh, that same year. Or the- uh, yeah, okay, so Domhnall was also in, in 2014. He was in a movie, Frank. It's the name of it, which oh, stars Michael that- Fassbender. It's a weird movie. Yeah, Fassbender plays this rock singer who wears a big oversized head all the time. Um, but Domhnall Gleeson is great in that movie. He is really great. And back then everything seems to be happening for him. And then sort of, you know, the wheels came off the wagon a little bit, but, uh, he he wrote, he wrote all of that to the Disney Brinks truck. That's what what, he did. And I'm sure his father told him to. I'm sure his father's like, don't go through what I went through, man. Just, just get the paycheck. You can now, have an illustrious career where you're broke, or you can do a Disney movie that's not very good, but you will live like a king for the rest of your life. Right, yeah. Um, so back to the to the film, the cast. By the way, I don't think excellent. Disney's ever going to sponsor us. So if we keep talking like this, we're we're definitely never going to have the Mouse House as part of our uh, our fandom. No, and and there's there's an outside chance Disney won't exist in six yes. months anyway. So it's true, it's true. I love Apple. I love Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Apple's the best. Yeah. Tim cook, buddy, give us a call. We're all on board. Um, but back to the film, the cast is great. It's, it's really well uh, directed, well-written. And what I liked about it was there's a philosophical seriousness to it. And, and an intellectualism almost to it in terms of what they're discussing and what and the bigger ideas that, that uh, fuel the, the story. But then there's also this part to it, this emotional part of it, which is the crux of the film. And 
the combination of those two things. Some films do one of those things well, some do another well, very few do them both well. And this does them both well where it's philosophically serious and yet emotionally resonant. And ultimately it, it, it really draws you in um, to that a love story for lack of a better term because it's not really that but like you get to see how incredibly vulnerable we are as a species yeah oh yes and a lot to humanity yeah and you know in these times with you know the coronavirus and all this stuff it's pretty interesting to see that like wow we are not actually where i know we're on the top of the food chain but you know (laughs) it's we're not invincible and in fact we're, we're quite weak and that's what sort of comes through in this well uh, it's a total sidebar you know it's it's a setting of the movie it's not part of the main thrust of it but i mean the the uh domino gets flown out to this spot and he's basically quarantined while he's seeing what this yeah. artificial intelligence so he's basically waiting out to you know for this thing to run its course before he gets to go back home and it's how he changes, how, what he learns, kind of what things does he wrestle with that I think a lot of people are doing in and of themselves in their home late at night when they can't sleep and they're kind of like, what am I thinking about? Which is why I thought this was a great movie for people to kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows that really gravitate and kind of resonate with me are when you can entertain someone, but yet still ask big questions in life. You know, what's right and wrong? What is our morality? What should we or shouldn't we be doing? And not necessarily being proselytizing a, you know, this is what it should be or this is what it should be, but just yeah. make people stop and go, oh, wait, I never thought about that before. And I, I like this because it does feel much more of an intellectual movie, but it never becomes so indulgent where you're just like, oh man, I'm listening to a professor talk and I'm bored and I'm not engaged because it does tap into the humanity. And it's weird because you have this, the main character, you know, he's kind of a quiet, you know, nerdy kind of a coder person. So he's not necessarily a people person. Then you have kind of this, you know, extravagant, you know, savant who's kind of like your, you know, JFK Jr.-esque kind of, you know, is he vapid? Does he have something there? What is he really thinking, you know? And then you have this artificial intelligence that obviously follows the trope of, hey, if a, if a guy is going to build a, a robot, let's make sure she's very attractive so that we can, you know, play with the sexuality of the whole thing. But all that wrapped up, you know, you start to see her and what is she struggling with? And if she is really more than AI, what does she want? And what is she going to do? And so you have all these different things kind of playing in any given scene. And when any two of them are talking, it's totally different. But then the information that they like talk about you go, oh, how will that affect the person that's not in the room? So you're right. constantly kind of juggling in your own head, how is this all going to come together? And it's kind of a mystery. It has a little bit of a you know different ending to the piece. Um, but I just think it's, it, it is a little bit slower, but I just think it's such, it's such a delight. It's like a, it's like a fine wine. It's like a really good meal. You want to savor all of it. And then when it's over, you just want to let it sit with you for a bit. And I just, I think those movies are rare. And I, I would love when people are staying at home, give them some money and uh, pop it on Netflix. Yeah, it's, you know, I talk about this a lot uh, in terms of film, but the geometry of the film is so precise between the relationship between the three people and uh, 
even the relationship between those three people and the viewer. Um, so the, the information you get uh, as a viewer is generally you're kept on the outside a little bit in terms of what everybody's up to. And then when you're sort of led into it, it's this, it's true. You're, you're left after this movie, you just sort of exhale and you're left to sit in all of the philosophical questions that were just imposed upon you. And it's, it's really fascinating. And it, and it's just a, again, just in terms of craft as a filmmaker, it's surprisingly confident. I remember when I saw it, I walked out of the theater and I was like, wow, this guy's going to be something, Yes, you know? And I think the only other movie he's done is uh, Annihilation, which I was so excited to see. He wrote it. He didn't. Dennis Venubola was the director. He only wrote it. Did he really? Is that that true? Are you lying to me? I am not lying to you. But I'm going to look this up right now. Well, you looked it up. I'm going to jump in on your geometry thing because it it reminded me a lot going back. We talked a lot about. um, No, he directed Annihilation, you son of a bitch. No, he didn't. Dennis. I'm looking at it right now. No. This is gonna be this is this is on the record. All right. Well, you I'm, are screwed. I'm, I'm wrong. Did Dennis Venuva or whatever his name did he uh produce it then? I don't what are, what am I the producing police? I don't know, you're just pulling out I know who directed <laughs> it, so I don't know. No, he did. He he wrote and directed Annihilation, which is a film that um I was really disappointed in. Oh, I'm getting them mixed up. You're right. He did an. I was thinking Arrival. Arrival, yes, yes. which is a much better film than. It's a much better film. Yeah, much better. Film. Might even make our list. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. With you. Um, but going back to your geometry, we talked a lot about Parasite uh, leading up to the Academy Awards. Yeah, and with the precision uh, that the, that he worked as a director in that movie was brilliant. And I think this, you know, this is not as tight. Um, but it's pretty darn close. And I think what's fascinating about it is the fact that I think the word that you use is perfect confidence. I think a lot of directors, they shoot stuff and they're like, we'll figure it out in post. We want to cover our butts. We want to do this. And when directors really know what they want, they just shoot what they want and then they cut it together and it works. And I felt very much like he had command at every level when making this movie. I know what I want to do. So even if it's a wrong choice or it doesn't work out quite so well, it always is like, okay, he's steering the ship. He's our captain. Take me somewhere. And, yeah. and I, I, think, I think it's just it's a joy to, to be along for the ride. And, and I think I, I, another good analogy that you were talking about, the way you were describing it, it made me feel like, have you ever been to like a zoo and you're trying to look at an animal and there's only certain ways you can kind of see there's a beam in the way or something. So you're always trying. And I felt for parts of the movie, that was the same thing. We weren't trying to look through a tree or, you know, trying to, you know, they can tuck up in the corner, but you kept trying to find an angle in your own mind, how to get in. And then yeah. when they let you in, it's kind of like what I think would happen if like, Oh, I don't see where the tiger is. Where's the tiger? And they're like, here, come step through. And you step in, you're like, Oh, there's the tiger. And then you're like, is there another tiger somewhere? And it, it, it goes from being like, I want to see it to like, oh no, what could happen? And they played with that back and forth really, really well, where you're like, I want to know. And then you're like, oh no, something might, oh, oh what's going to happen? <laughs> you're like, can I get back on the safe side of the glass? So it was kind of like they were, you know, using you like an emotional wave back and forth, which I thought, I can't think of a lot of movies where that's been the case. And I think that's a really hard thing to pull off. And I think they executed it really well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Parasite um, because. 
of the geometry of things, but also the geometry of the set. Yes. In, in that the houses in the rich house in Parasite and this house have similarities in terms of the architecture and the lines yeah. used in the architecture, which is really interesting. And, and sort of how everything is contained. Another thing I wanted to touch upon that to piggyback off of you is just how uh, visually there's it, the cinematographer is Rob Hardy, who's done a bunch of stuff. Um, but he does some really interesting things in shooting this film that are very, very subtle, but they do exactly what you're talking about. And it does feel like a zoo where you're trying to get an angle. So for instance, there are these discussions between Alicia Vikander's character and Domino Gleason, and they're they're in they're behind glass. So it's yeah. basically you, you're not sure who is observing whom, but it's like a zoo in a way. And the way they shoot that is really interesting because there's a mild reflection off of the glass. And so the view is always just a little bit distorted and a little obstructed. And it can be a little frustrating at times where you're like, geez. And it's so interesting when you have someone as, you know, uh, classically, ridiculously beautiful as Alicia Vikander, um, that you're sort of distorting your view of her. And yet it creates the feeling that you're almost, every time they have those scenes, you're almost leaning forward a little bit more. Yeah. You, you're almost wanting to wipe the glass with your hand or something. <laughs> and, it's, and it just draws you in that way. And there's another shot, which uh, I watched it last night, so uh, it, it's a little fresher in my mind probably than yours. But there's a shot where it's uh, a wide where they're talking to each other through the glass again, but it's from the side. Yes. So you see the barrier between them. And it's mostly on Vikander. And yet the camera, and it's very subtle, the camera is floating. It's dancing almost to the point where you feel a little bit dizzy well, watching thought, it. Yeah, it was, I, I remember the shot. I thought it was almost like a full year. You're kind of like, wait a minute, is there someone else in the room? Yes, it, yes. It, it starts, you get, you get kind of the, the, the back of your neck kind of gets prickly. You're like, what's, what's going on? Exactly. And, and I think most people don't know that it's happening which is what we we're talking about with the command that he had of directing it. Cause it was not a technique that was used very often. Yes. Not so at all. It, 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 it's very effective when it, when they do use it. It's and it, and it's almost disorienting. Yeah. Because it, it's like a dizzying effect that is very subtle. And you're just like, wait a minute, what is going on here? I'm losing my equilibrium. And it's because throughout the film, he doesn't do that. Yeah. He, he everything is, is very sort of, um, contained in in terms of how he shoots and the camera's very steady and all that. But like in this one scene, it's just very interesting. And it's that sort of thing just really speaks to a real talent uh, for a director, which is why it's frustrating. He's only, he, although he has, I think he has another movie coming out this year. If well, then that we'll happens. Definitely talk about uh, that. But I'm yeah. not, we did, we did talk about this in previous podcasts, but the, the command and the bold choices by directors they stand out because we, we, we reviewed the portrait of a woman on fire yeah. and some of those choices that they, in order to have the effect they did, you have to not overuse it. And I think it's really easy now in kind of the quote unquote MTV era where we just need to bombard people with, by, by withholding and being more restrictive. 
you can have great impact. And I think it takes a very confident, very bold and very, you know, skilled person to execute it. And I think that's what you're talking about in that scene. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. So any other thoughts on uh, Ex Machina before we, we close this one down? No, like I said, I think, you know, it, it's a sort of movie where if you hate sci-fi, if you need, you know, constant jokes and explosions, this is maybe not the movie for you. Um, but I think you don't have to necessarily be a cinemaphile. You know, this isn't one of those movies that, you know, you're just going to absolutely loathe when you're watching it, but it's definitely a different, it's, it's maybe outside of your comfort zone, but I think it's accessible to almost everybody that wants to give it a shot. So I, I'd say, you know, the nice part about it streaming, you give it 20 minutes, <laughs> it's not for you. You could go ahead and, you know, pause and find something else. But I, I don't think you, I don't think you'll turn it off because I do think it's a, a really, really good movie. And I think it's definitely something worth, you know, consuming and then thinking about, you know, spend some of this downtime kind of, you know, pondering the bigger questions of life. Yeah, you know, I think that you said that very well. It is very accessible. Um, it, this is not an art house movie. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a finely crafted film that people of all stripes can just enjoy. It, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is a smart movie that you can digest and not, you know, be uh, overwhelmed with sort of visual effects or anything like that. It's, it's about... Uh, humanity and relationships and and bigger questions of of what we are why we're here and what it's all about and stuff like that so i i really love this movie i uh and where the way we're doing this is barry and i are each picking movies and this was barry's pick and i was angry he picked it because i wanted to pick it um that won't be so, the first or the last <laughs> yeah so uh this this one goes to barry's call but i'm i'm all on board with this one ex machina is just fantastic and really well acted. If you want to see great acting, check it out. Um, for those of you who are, uh, you know, more sort of uh, lascivious, there is some nudity, not a ton, but some enough to satiate you just a little taste. And uh, it's very well done. Excellent movie. All right, Barry, anything else? Should we move on? I think we, I, yeah, I think we can move on. I think that was good. And uh, I hope people, I hope people enjoy finding some of these, uh, Diamonds in the Rough that maybe a pastor didn't know about, and hopefully that makes one of your evenings a little bit less boring during the course. Yes. Hopefully. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Looking California Film, Minnesota. Please stay safe out there and stay healthy, and we'll see you next time.